Today we're going to talk about game design and how it relates to companion characters in video games. How's it going, everyone? I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the 31st episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Zaccavelli underscore, and tune in for the occasional Game Dev stream at twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. We also have a community Discord that's open to everyone. It's where we host our Game a Month um, jam. And it's where we do the Game Dev Challenge. These are both really good opportunities to get some completed projects and practice your skills. So I would highly encourage you to go join that. Plus, it's just a cool community. Lastly, we have a Patreon. And as a patron, um, you sponsor some additional content. And on top of that, you get to vote on topics of the episode and get a special role in the Discord. And uh, yeah, it's just a really good way to directly support the show. So if you're interested in that, I'll leave a link in the show notes. With that, let's get over to the Game Dev Challenge. Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt and members of the community uh, send in their submissions and we kind of do like thought experiments for game design. Sometimes we do art challenges. It's just uh, intended to be little challenges and things that will help you improve your skills. Last episode was about game design or I'm sorry, game documents and kind of planning your game dev projects. And specifically, we talked about the game design document. And the challenge was to come up with a short one-page game design document for a game idea that you have. And the winner of the episode 30 game dev challenge is Comet Man. Comet Man provided a one-page game design document split into a few different sections, which is kind of what we talked about. In the show, I split it into technical gameplay and presentation. And Comet Man did that with a few other kind of sub-splits, I guess. And it really helped organize the idea. So the first sort of section is the elevator pitch on this game design document. And that's not something I mentioned, but I think it's a good idea to have like a short sentence or maybe a short idea, maybe a couple sentences that really describes your game quickly because especially if you're going to be doing like grassroots marketing or just marketing it in person by literally talking to people, you want to have like a prepared idea or a way of communicating what exactly your game is. So an elevator pitch I think is a really good idea. And I'm going to read you the elevator pitch of this document. It says, mobile game where you generate digital battler from scanning UPC barcodes. So yeah, right away that sounds like a pretty cool and unique idea. It kind of evokes some memories of um, older games where maybe you scan discs uh, to generate monsters. I think that was Monster Rancher, and funny enough, later down in the document it says Monster Rancher is sort of an influence. So, But yeah, it does a few other interesting things, and I think what we talked about last time is that everyone's game design document like preferences are going to be a little bit different. So it's kind of however it helps organize your thoughts. And another thing Comet Man did kind of kind of out of the format that I mentioned, which, by the way, like I said, is not like a locked-in format that you have to follow, 
but I thought this was interesting that Comet Man has several, or I guess three subsections in the gameplay section, and it breaks he breaks it down into game loop, mechanics, and balance. And I think I did mention that these are the kind of things you probably want to address, but the way he did it is he really went in-depth with bullet points and kind of like a sorted list of how each thing is going to work out or some key ideas of each thing. And so to me, this is like, I talked about the spectrum of how much you want to plan. And it looks like to me that Common Man is a, uh, you know, a higher level planner than maybe I am, which is totally fine. Remember, the game design document is for you. It's something that should help you organize your thoughts. So if this is how in-depth you think at the start, then that's perfectly fine. In the last section under presentation, Comet Man mentions a sound, well, look and sound, but the sound, if you'll remember, I didn't really have much to say about it because I I do sound in kind of a weird way. I kind of do it as it's going, but I thought this was kind of cool. Under sound, it says low tempo, or I'm sorry, low tempo, synthy music for most screens, higher tempo during battles. And so right there, he's kind of planning out the feels. Um, and kind of the emotions, I suppose, you want to evoke with your music. And so, yeah, if, I know it kind of left the sound question um, open-ended at the last episode, and so here's certainly a way to do it where you kind of identify the emotions via the tempo of your music and kind of divide them up like that. So, yeah, congrats to Comment Man for winning the episode 30 Game Dev Challenge. We'll use the uh, Discord bot to put Comet Man up on the scoreboard. I believe that will be his first win. But uh, yeah, if you didn't know, we got a Discord bot to start keeping a leaderboard of our game dev challenge. And it's really cool. And it is a leaderboard that you could be on next. All you got to do is submit a submission onto the game dev challenge channel on the community Discord. The prompt for the next episode will be... Pitch your idea for a properly scoped companion character. This is another game design sort of prompt. I promise that we'll go back over to an art design or maybe focus on some other areas. But I think this prompt is especially relevant to what we're going to talk about today with the companion characters and kind of the game design principles around it. And so, yeah, this will probably just be one where you can just write a typical post And uh, all you got to do is pitch your idea for a properly scoped companion character. With that, let's jump over to the body of the episode. So today's episode is really about game design um, as it relates to AI-controlled companions. For this episode, I'm going to define companions as AI that is intended to help or is required for the goals of the game. These companions can take many forms in game design And examples might include Ellie from The Last of Us Part 1, the UNSC Marines from Halo, or an army of skeletons that you've summoned in Diablo 2. I thought it might make a good episode because it presents some interesting game design challenges, and I think it's something that's really easy to mess up. But also, when it's done right, it can offer a cooperation element without having to implement a full-on multiplayer. It can be really satisfying when done right, Uh, but as I mentioned, you can really mess it up. And for those of us that played games in the 2000s, um, there's not really any more infamous example of screwing up companion game design than escort missions. 
I don't know what it is about that era of game design, but man, there were a lot of bad escort missions. So I thought maybe we could start by dissecting what it is that makes an escort mission bad, and then we can know how to avoid doing that for companions in our games. So first, let's give a general example of an escort mission um, so we're kind of all on the same page. An escort mission is usually where you have to guide an NPC from one part of the level to the next. An escort mission also usually has some kind of failure state if anything happens to the NPC. And I don't know why, but for some reason a lot of game designers looked at this kind of idea of what makes an escort mission, and they thought to themselves, you know what this needs? A really extremely fragile and <laughs> usually annoying voice-lined uh, MPC. And I guess maybe they were trying to convey like the idea of protecting someone fragile, but after you fail the mission like the 10th time in a row, I think a lot of players just let them die out of spite. <laughs> and you would fail so much because the AI that controlled the NPC was often poorly implemented, uh, causing the NPC to act stupidly reckless. Oftentimes the NPCs in these missions would run right into danger, and the mission felt more like babysitting. I think the problem with this is that you're combining two bad game design ideas and number one isn't so bad by itself, but it's when you combine the two that it gets kind of egregious. So number one is an immediate and quick fail state. Like I said, this one's not so bad, but usually a fail state that feels so immediate and kind of stops all progress is not a great idea. Usually you want some kind of like soft fail state, like something that makes the game maybe a little bit harder, like a, a few chances or something like that. But to just have a straight up if the NPC dies, you lose kind of hard line uh, fail state. It just doesn't feel great when it's that immediate. But it becomes really, really frustrating and a bad idea when you take the agency to avoid this failure away from the player and hand it to bad AI. What you have done by combining these bad ideas is that you've made a game where if the player wins or not is not fully dependent on the player's actions. With a bad AI, it's actually majorly dependent on the actions of the NPC, and like we said, that NPC has poor intelligence. If whether or not you lose the game depends on the NPC surviving, you can't make the NPC super fragile and super unintelligent. It just makes for a really frustrating game mechanic. So to sum all that up, I think we have identified kind of three key flaws. Bad escort missions are designed around companion characters that are fragile, not intelligent, and directly tied to the win-fail state. In my opinion, The Last of Us has the best companion game design and really companion technical design of all time. Most of the game is sort of an escort mission, um, and some context if you don't know, you play as a character named Joel, and you have to escort a young girl named Ellie across a zombie apocalypse United States. In my opinion, the game has the best companion game design because how it avoided the problems that we stated earlier. Ellie is a very intelligent survivor, and this intelligence unfolds unprompted in front of you during the game. Instead of being helpless and wandering into a fail state, 
She will throw you a knife to help you dispatch an enemy. She will point out shortcuts. She'll shoot people that were a danger to you. The AI is really good and feels like you're cooperating with someone rather than babysitting. In some cases, she is tied to the fail win state, but it's not so bad when you can count on her to take care of herself long enough for you to focus on something else for a second. Which is interesting because that's a feeling that is a core theme to the character's relationship uh, as well. So it's that cool idea where the mechanics kind of mirror the narrative and emotion of the game. Naughty Dog also wisely made it so that Ellie can't do much to hurt the player from a gameplay standpoint. When the AI doesn't act in the most expected way, you don't really notice because it doesn't negatively affect you. A good example of this is there's a lot of stealth sections in The Last of Us, and I, I don't know if it's impossible for Ellie to blow your cover, but the buffer for when she can blow your cover and really when she can and can't be seen is like way more forgiving than normal. And this makes it so that when the AI picks a weird pathing choice uh, that puts Ellie like way out in the middle of the open, it doesn't blow your cover. I suppose in some really bad cases there might be some ludonarrative dissonance where like the guard should definitely be seeing her, but he doesn't. But I think most players can get over that um, so long as it doesn't negatively affect them. If it were the case where the AI made a bad pathing choice and it exposed her, which then exposed you, um, that would be really frustrating because you have no agency over that. Basically, the player cannot control their own win-fail state. And so giving this wider buffer or more forgiveness for the AI being seen or not basically alleviates the biggest problem, and it gives more control over the outcomes of the player's decisions and doesn't negatively affect the player for the AI's decisions. Basically, it boils down to Ellie's AI making a dumb decision doesn't lose you the game. So, I hope now you have a grasp on some key things to avoid when designing around companions, but how realistic is it for you to do it like how Naughty Dog did it uh, for The Last of Us? What you have to understand is that the AI in The Last of Us was like state-of-the-art and a technical feat that I'm not sure most indie devs could accomplish. But the principles of it we could follow, and we could maybe um, do it in our own sort of indie dev way. So the first thing you can do is properly scope your game. And this is really the answer to a lot of problems, um, but this one especially. And that's really just to say that you shouldn't make your game focus on a complex companion character if you can't make the AI that can use it intelligently. Like I said, The Last of Us was a huge technical feat in terms of companion AI, and unless you are like really skilled in that sort of field, I wouldn't design your whole game around it. But if you made the mechanics around the companion character simple, I think that makes it a lot easier to execute it correctly. And just because it's simple doesn't mean it's worse. Oftentimes a simple but flawlessly ex executed mechanic is a lot better than a complex one that doesn't work very well. If you're going for the protecting someone narrative or sort of game design, I think tying them to the win-fail state is kind of inevitable, but for all other cases, I would say this is a bad idea. That's not to say that you shouldn't have companion characters like at all or 
that the protection narrative or design is bad. Uh, in some cases, it definitely can work, especially when you make it simple, like we said. But I think there's some really fun and satisfying designs around companion characters that aren't directly tied to the windfail state. So let's talk about those. I know I've used this example a lot, but the Marines in the Halo series are a great example of companion characters that aren't tied to the windfail state, but actually, in my opinion, add a lot to the game. First off, it kind of makes sense in the narrative part of the game, uh, the fact that they aren't tied to the win-fail state, because after all, they're marines, and they're kind of meant to be expendable. So the very idea of it kind of fits within the confines of the story. So losing them doesn't have any of that narrative dissonance that we talked about, but it does add like more character and more feeling to the game. The marines are sort of fragile, but they can put up a fight, and their job is simple, so their intelligence doesn't have to be that great. And that's not to, you know, put down the AI of the Marines in the Halo series. Actually, as far as soldiers in video games go, the AI in those games are is very good. But the point is, is it's not like super complex. All they have to do is fight the enemy. Um, and I think even in Halo, they maybe might employ some basic tactics and dodge grenades and stuff like that. What they add to the game, however, is a ton of character, and the increased power fantasy and immersion of you being the super soldier Master Chief. You get this in little moments when, like, the Marines are in awe and pumped when they see you, um, and the increased power fantasy comes from seeing how they struggle to kill a single alien, um, but it that really shows you your relative power to them because over the course of the game you kill hundreds. Just watching the marines fight a group of aliens and seeing them struggle and then you show up to save them and they're pumped, it's really cool and it's also like adds a little bit of character to the game because when they die and they can die, it's not like soul crushing but it is a little sad and it's it's cool to see them like kind of have that underdog thing where they succeed and actually beat the aliens. You could just watch them fight and I think usually they lose, depending on the difficulty you're playing. But it's cool to just add that extra character with seemingly pointless NPCs. But really, in their subtleties, you'll notice that they aren't pointless. They're there to kind of give you that feeling of when Master Chief shows up, he can kill like the whole squad of aliens and the Marines are pumped. <laughs> It goes a little bit deeper than that, too, because you can cooperate with them by trading weapons or letting them drive while you shoot. And I think overall it's just good companion game design um, because it feels like that thing where you're not babysitting, but you're working together. Granted, they don't, you know, really pull their weight compared to Master Chief, but they are trying and they're helping in the small ways that they can. And yeah, I just think... It's a good example of how a really small and subtle companion that's not very complex and not tied to the win-fail state can still really add a lot to the game. And I think that idea kind of provides a better example that's more applicable to indie devs. If you keep the companions or allies' tasks simple, you don't have to focus on executing AI with great intelligence. That goes back to the idea of properly scoping your game. You can then use that effort that you saved on things like using the companions to serve the strengths of the game. In this case, in Halo, 
It's serving the power fantasy and feeling like you're working together with other soldiers. So another example of the of a way where the average indie dev might tackle the companion design is sort of the minion style. This to me is like in Diablo 2 when you have a giant skeleton army. The intelligence is incredibly simple. Really all they have to do is walk to the target and fight. But there's something really satisfying about managing large groups of simple AI entities. I think this is why classes in RPGs that have pets are really popular. Having something you can just summon and fight for you allows you to focus on maybe more of a support role. And as we talked about in the RPG class design episode, there's a whole group of people that just like being in that support role. I know this episode has been example heavy, but I want to provide one more um, case of a simple indie game that I think really nailed the minion style companion game design. And this example might come a little out of left field, uh, but I've been recently exploring Roblox for some other content that I'm working on. And in Roblox, I discovered a game called Bee Swarm Simulator. In this game, you control a swarm of bees and collect pollen from fields and bring it back to a hive to make honey. The game loop is simple, but it's really addictive, and I think it's really a masterclass on Minion's game design. First off, there are a lot of different species of bee that all offer different kinds of buffs and special abilities related to collecting pollen and making honey. These bees have an incredibly simple purpose, but the way that all the different species can interact with each other and the player really gives the game the cooperative feel. Some bees will buff others' collection speeds, some bees will dig up special coins, some bees call down lightning storms that kill enemy bugs. It's just crazy satisfying to watch this giant swarm of bees all interact and have chain effects, and at no point does it feel like you're babysitting or struggling to manage the swarm. It feels like you're cooperating and tweaking the efficiency as its leader. So I think the last lesson we can learn here is that minion game design is another really great way to kind of add that companion cooperative feel. And if you keep the AI incredibly simple but allow the player to manage large groups, you'll get that mix of satisfying like cooperation and kind of tweaking the efficiency management style. And I don't think the player will feel too overwhelmed because of each individual's uh, simple function. So I know we had a lot of examples this episode, um, and I kind of wanted to summarize the key takeaways, that way they didn't get lost in the examples. So companions are an interesting game mechanic that can offer an element of cooperation without having to implement full-on multiplayer. It can be satisfying when done right, but really frustrating when done wrong. A good example of when it was done wrong was the escort missions that were popular in the games of the past. Escort missions were poorly designed because the companions were often fragile, not intelligent, and directly tied to the win state of the game. Combining these elements made for an extremely frustrating situation where the player felt like they were babysitting instead of cooperating. They also did a very bad thing because they put whether or not the player passed the win-fail state of the game uh, not fully dependent on the player's decisions or agency, really. And so whether or not they won or lost the game 
was dependent on an AI that was often poorly implemented. The Last of Us is perhaps the greatest example of how to work around these problem areas. The companions in The Last of Us are intelligent, capable, and only tied to the win state in a way that makes sense and is not frustrating. Most indie devs will not be able to pull off what The Last of Us did purely due to scope and technical limitations. But that doesn't mean that you should throw out companions in your game idea box. If you properly plan your companions so that their tasks are simple and therefore their intelligence is easy to implement, I think you'll be able to execute a functional AI. Don't tie them to the win state and instead use them to push forward other core features and feelings in your game. A good example of this is the Marines in Halo. Lastly, consider the minion management style of companions. This is where you manage large groups of simple-minded entities. It's one of my personal favorite game mechanics, and I think it can be done right and easily scoped. When you do this, you want to focus on making each entity capable on their own, but also incentivize cooperation with the larger group and the player. Lastly, I think the biggest takeaway from this episode is that when it comes to companion game design, it should feel like you're cooperating instead of babysitting. That's going to do it for today's episode. You can get a hold of me on Twitter at underscore Zekavili underscore. Join our community Discord and Take part in the Game Dev Field Guide Monthly Game Jam. Uh, the open invite link is in the show notes. If you'd like to directly support the show and get a few other small bonuses, um, check out the Patreon. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes as well. And uh, yeah, a little bit shorter episode today, but uh, keep an eye out for the bonus episode. It should come out before the end of April. With that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zachavelli. And I can't believe I did a whole episode on Dumb Companions and I didn't mention Donald from Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> I'll have to save a rant for a future 10-hour special on that topic. I'll see you guys next time.